Good morning. How are we today? All right. Let's see. It sounds a little bit quiet, but we'll see if we can get you going this morning, okay? Now, this morning's preach comes in British English today. I'm sorry, I cannot do a Canadian accent, so I'm not going to try. It also comes analog. I have paper notes. I don't have an iPad. I hope that's okay. Child of the 70s. I just have to go with it. Are we doing good? All right. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to preach here this morning. Uh, we've been coming to this church around a year now. Um, I'm really enjoying being a part of it. Um, if, you haven't, uh, if I haven't had a chance to speak to you in that time, um, I'm from England, um, but I've been here nearly 10 years. Um, and for nine of those 10 years, I've been working as a pastor together with my husband, Adrian. And then in the last year, I've been working as an art teacher which is the other side of me. I trained as an artist. So um, I really love connecting with people and seeing them be encouraged and inspired, whether it's to get to know Jesus. I love helping people do that. I also love helping people discover what they have in them and like release their creativity in them and grow in confidence for what they can do. So that's a little bit about me. Now, we've been spending the last few weeks in Mark's Gospel and the topic that I wanted to take up today is uh, Jesus' authority and how that's displayed in this gospel. Now, as a parent, um, I have authority over my kids as their parent or guardian until they're about 18. Together with my husband, Adrian, it's our legal responsibility. It's also our responsibility before God to take care of the lives that he's given us to look after. But it's in the context of developing a healthy relationship with trust and with love. And out of that comes a respect, a willingness to listen, a willingness to follow instructions. A trust that as parents, our goal is for their best. It's in the context of family and relationship. Now, there are times in my life where it feels like I have the authority. There are times where it feels like I have the power. Like, I don't know if you've ever done this, driving into a multi-story car park and the barrier just lifts. It's, it's amazing, especially if the car next to you has to stop and get a ticket and you're just like, shh. There was another time where I really felt like I had the authority. This was really good. I was rushing out the house on the way to work for my church in London. And, you know, never do one thing at once. You can always do two or three and be really super efficient. So I'd go out the house. I'd take the rubbish with me. I had my house keys and the rubbish bag in my hand. I threw them all in the bin, which is about this deep. So house keys at the bottom of the bin. And then I was stood there thinking, hmm, what do I do now? And in the place where all the rubbish bins were, there was this like wooden pallet. So I just broke off a stick of the pallet, which had like nails on the end of it, and went fishing in the bin for my keys. It was really cool. And I managed to get them out. And then I was like, I have the power. I have the authority. Yeah, come on. There was another moment. It was a Dukes of Hazard moment. If you don't know Dukes of Hazard, Google it later, okay? Um, so again in London, dropping off my kids at nursery, it was always really hard to find a parking space and you have to parallel park. And just incidentally, if you manage to parallel park first time when there's a queue of cars behind you, that's amazing. Um, but in this occasion, we had a really old car where the handbrake was gradually losing its ability to work. So then I'm stopping the car and I'm parking and I'm going round the back to get our, young, our oldest daughter, Eva, at the time, out of the back and unstrap her. And the car starts rolling slowly with the driver's door open towards this 
like lamppost. And I'm like, hmm. Out of the back seat, in the front seat, shut the car, pull the handbrake, like shung, shung, shung. I have the power. I have the authority. The only trouble is there was nobody there to see it. So you're just going to have to take my word. So there are times when I feel like I have the authority. But on a more serious note, as Christians, we recognize that Jesus has the highest authority. He has authority over all things at all times and in all places. He is the Son of God. We read in Colossians that all things are created by him, that everything is placed under his feet, that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth. And Jesus' authority is revealed in different ways in Mark's gospel. So this morning, I'm going to do two things. First of all, I'm going to give you a bird's eye view of how Jesus' authority is revealed and the different responses that come up to that. And then we're going to look at some specific examples in chapter five of Jesus' authority in a couple of different situations. And then we're going to land in what is our response to his authority. What is our response to his authority? In society at the moment, authority can seem like an outdated concept. Perhaps we can address the topic and think, well, actually what I think, what I decide is what, dis what steers my life. Perhaps that's the way we want to do it. And we see leaders in the public eye, and especially in the area of politics, and we think, can we trust them? Why should they decide over us? It's as if people need to earn the right to speak into our lives. But what gives Jesus the right to speak into our lives and speak into the world and the way that things are done? Well, let's look at the evidence here in Mark's Gospel. And if I could have the first slide, um, examples of Jesus' authority. We see throughout the different chapters in Mark, we have his teaching in both chapter 1 and chapter 4. And we see how the authority of Jesus' teaching amazes people. They say, wow, he teaches as a man with authority, not as the teachers of the law. It is teaching on a whole nother level. Like they haven't experienced that before. They haven't experienced that amount of power and wisdom and truth. But then we even see in the first chapter how he has authority over evil spirits. He orders them to be quiet and to leave, and they do it. And on a wider scale, we see that he has authority over demons and various diseases. He healed many, it said. He drove out many demons. It's a wide-reaching authority. It's not just a one-time event. It's not just one amazing day. It happens again and again and again. And we've seen in the Old Testament sickness healed, but not on this scale. We saw even in chapter 2 the authority to forgive sins. Now, this is something that only God can do. That's really important. And then in chapter 4, when he calms the storm, he has authority over nature. Again, this is something that only God can can do. We're getting a few clues here now as to who he is and how he can have this authority. 
And then in the beginning of chapter 5, we see how he has authority over multiple demons. If you have time sometime this week, it's worth reading over it again. The first 20 verses of Mark chapter 5, where there's this man who, is, who is, has so many demons in him, over a couple of thousand maybe, they think. And even with that, when Jesus comes, he falls at his feet. It doesn't matter how many demons are in this man, he falls at Jesus' feet. And then Jesus drives them out into the herd of pigs. That's how we know roughly there may be 2,000, because 2,000 pigs rush down the slope into the lake and are drowned. So that is the scale of Jesus' authority. And when he displays his authority in these different ways, it's the kingdom of God being displayed and coming near it shows us what God's kingdom looks like, that God's kingdom rules over sickness, over death, over nature, over demons, over everything. When Jesus does things that only God can do, it is evidence of his divinity. It is evidence that he is God. But all this is normal for Jesus. This is his normal, this is his natural state, because he knows who he is, and he knows who his father is, Father God. But he doesn't have to prove anything. It's not like he has to strive. Oh my goodness, that guy's got a demon, I'm going to have to pull out my best card. He doesn't have to do that. He just goes up to the guy, and things happen. The demon recognizes who he is. This is all Jesus being himself as the Son of God. Jesus coming near people in this way is the kingdom of God coming near people. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one, the rescuer. He's so full of life, love, power, and wisdom. It cannot help but change what is around him. It has the higher authority over all these other things that are broken, that don't work, that don't fit. It rules over it. But then we have people's reactions to Jesus' authority. So then I, if I can have the next slide. So we have finally, after hundreds of years, the chosen, ones, the chosen one has arrived. God's son is here. We can see what he can do. God's people have been waiting for this moment. Surely people will just welcome him with open arms, won't they? Won't they just celebrate all that he does? But unfortunately, it was not always the case. But every display of authority from Jesus is an invitation to see who he is and it's an invitation to believe. But what did people do? Well, they were amazed at his teaching. They were wowed when they heard it. But then the teachers of the law, they were offended when Jesus claimed to do things that only God could do, or because he was God. So of course he claimed to do it. But then people are offended. And then when he heals on the Sabbath, they're so offended they want to kill him. It breaks all their rules of what should happen. Because on the Sabbath, you weren't supposed to work. You were supposed to rest and spend that day um, worshipping God. But Jesus goes over that, and he's like, actually, me healing is an act of compassion, and it brings glory to God on the Sabbath. 
better to help than to harm. But then people are so super offended that they want to get rid of him. And then we have this amazing miracle of the, all the demons being driven out of the man. What happens there? The people ask Jesus to leave. This was an incredible deliverance. Over 2,000 spirits leave the man and go into the pigs. They rush down the slope and they're like, Jesus, leave. They were afraid. It was an invitation to choose him and they asked him to go. But then we see in the two accounts that I'm going to spend more time on now in chapter 5 that we also have people that recognize his authority. They see what, they can, what he can do and in their desperation they come to him. So we're going to look a bit closer in Mark chapter 5 from verse 21. As I said, this is an invitation to see who is Jesus, what can he do. I can choose to believe in him. I can choose to see who he is. The thing that surprises me about these two accounts in chapter 5 here that I'm going to lift up is it's not just about his authority over sickness and death. It's also his authority over things that are considered unclean. So we have a woman experiencing bleeding and we have a dead body. But we have two desperate people who are approaching Jesus. First, we have Jairus, who is the leader of the synagogue. We have many Jews who are rejecting Jesus, but Jairus is desperate. His daughter is dying. And he falls at Jesus' feet and he pleads with him to lay hands on his daughter. And Jairus has the status and position to formally approach Jesus. I'm going to read verses 22 through to 24 here, so you can see for yourself. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my daughter, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. But in sharp contrast to this, we then have a woman who has suffered from 12 years of bleeding. This makes her ritually unclean. And Jews had a series of rules and laws about what you had to do in preparation for worshipping God in the temple. And a skin disease or bleeding or touching a dead body, that could render you unclean. And therefore, you'd need to go through a purification ritual. And this woman had suffered from 12 years of bleeding. That's 12 years of being unclean, 12 years of not being able to go to the temple, 12 years of having to stay away from the crowds in case she touched people and made them unclean. We'll read a bit more about her here from verse 24. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. And yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, 
I will be healed. If I just touch these clo- his clothes, I will be healed. But surely if an unclean woman touches Jesus, will not he become unclean? Not at all, because of the purity that he carries. His holiness, his authority has a greater impact on her uncleanliness and her sickness. And it says in verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Twelve years immediately. That's my favorite word in that verse. Immediately she was freed from her suffering. I mean, this is good. Guys, come on. (laughs) This is good news. What he carries in him makes an immediate impact. And I love how Jesus, with a crowd of people jostling around him, surely they're bumping into him. There's all of this going on. But he knows that power has gone out of him. He wants to know who touched him. It's all about the relationship and about the connection. And because of that, the woman has a chance to explain publicly what has happened. She's no longer hidden. She's no longer an outcast. She's healed of the thing that separated her from society, that has used up all her money. But then she's also publicly restored because now everybody knows that she is healed. Everybody now knows that she is clean. She can come back into society. Jesus even calls her daughter. She's healed, but then she's restored on so many levels. He sorts out everything immediately. Immediately. She gets a renewed identity. And I wanted to show a painting. That's the next slide that I did. Um, Okay, so last week we were at the New Wine Summer Conference. And I had the opportunity, together with Ilan and a few other people, to be painting in the worship time to try and sort of get a sense of what God was saying in the worship time and paint that and help people to sort of focus in on God. And I felt led to paint the woman reaching out her hand. And to start with, it felt like really important that the hand was straining and just at the moment that it's touching the cloak. Um, But then the next day in the worship... Um, it was really important to focus on like the transfer from what was coming out of Jesus when he feels power coming out of him and then impacting her. So then I drew, I don't know how well you can see, but there's this gold line coming down through the cloak across the tassels and then dripping onto her hand. Just the moment of transformation. And it was incredible because I don't know what that painting meant for other people, but for me even, just realizing the moment of impact of God's power coming out and touching that woman was very moving. And it just happened to be a time in the worship when we were just singing about God's holiness and being in awe of him. Um, So, yeah, I hope that blesses you and encourages you this morning. Who touched my clothes? It is just the immediate immediate release of healing and restoration. God's power is beautiful. It's abundant. It transforms. It restores. It makes us gasp in wonder. It leads us to worship. 
And then we have the second account here, the rest of uh, chapter 5. And I've said here for my heading, when Jesus meets death, death loses. When Jesus meets death, death loses. I don't have as much time to go into what happened here with Jairus' daughter, but one thing I will say is that Jesus always wins over death. And it's a hint of what will then happen later on in Mark's gospel when Jesus dies on the cross. We sometimes sing in our worship songs, death could not hold him. Death could not hold him. Jesus was in the grave for three days and then life ripped through in the power of the Holy Spirit and he was raised to life. Every time Jesus meets death, death loses. Every time. And there will come a time when there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. We read about that in Revelation 21. He has the victory. He has the victory. We read in the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha uh, experienced people being raised from the dead. They were prophets known for performing signs and wonders, but nobody had performed signs and wonders on the scale that Jesus was doing. And the delay in coming to Jairus' daughter had meant that she had sadly died. But Jesus' reaction is this, don't be afraid, just believe. God's ways are higher than our ways. Imagine how it must be to be that certain, to know, to not fear in that situation because you know that you have an answer. Imagine what that must be like. Jesus knows who he is. He knows who his father is. But at the same time, he's careful to put out of the room anyone who is laughing or scorning or who doesn't believe. He just takes Peter, James, and John with him. He even orders them afterwards, don't tell anyone about this. But everything about this is remarkable. Because touching a dead body, again, like with the woman, it should make him unclean. Except it's Jesus, the Son of God, doing this. Uncleanliness loses, death loses, life wins, holiness wins, because Jesus' authority reigns above all other authorities. All other authorities. But on a serious note, those of us who have come near to serious sickness, who have come near to death and to loss, we know how final it can be. We know that it can feel like a full stop. It hurts. But yet as we celebrate at Easter, death becomes a comma when Jesus is around. Because in Jesus we have the hope of eternal life, life after death and the hope of resurrection. In not just for Jesus, but for all who believe in him, all who give their lives to him, all who surrender to him will be raised up on that last day. So we thank Jesus for this hope that cannot be shaken, that death changes from a full stop to a comma. It is a hope beyond grief and loss. And again, Jesus commands the dead girl to get up. And here comes my favorite word again, 
immediately, immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. Verse 42. It's not as if anyone had to wait for the miracle to take effect. At Jesus' command, the girl, the dead girl, gets up immediately. This is power on authority above all other powers. But that leads me to my conclusion. What is our response to Jesus' authority? We've seen a few different responses from the people around at the time. We have awe, we have wonder, we have fear, we have rejection. What's our response to his authority? It's not an authority that Jesus announces. He doesn't shout about it. He doesn't try to prove it. He lives it. He is it. If you come near him, you see the evidence. You will be impacted. But it's not like Jesus sets up a social media campaign with daily posts about what he's going to do on that day. So if I can have the next slide, the one of the... Hashtag empowered, just drove a demon out. You wouldn't see that on Jesus' social media page. Or else, what about the next one? DM me if you need a guaranteed storm-free fishing day. Hashtag divine weather solutions. He doesn't do that. He doesn't need to do that. He is this authority. He is power over all these things. He is God. Just simply by living his life and interacting with people, his divinity, that he is God, is seen. It's his normal. Winning over these things is his normal. Being Lord of the wind and the sea, it's who he is. He's the creator. All things were created by him, Colossians 1. The Father has given him all authority. He doesn't need to wait for permission from people. He has his father's permission. He has his father's permission, Father God, because he is fully God. It says in John 5, verse 19, Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. So the realm of Jesus' influence is everything that the Father has influence over, which is essentially everything. And every example I've talked about here today, and there are so many more if you read through all of the Gospels, is an invitation to see this and an invitation to believe. But there may be a number of different responses here in the room today. Where are we at with this? Where are we at with coming face to face with Jesus and his power and authority? I don't know if there's anyone here who's surprised by it or maybe offended by it. That doesn't fit my picture of who God is. I like gentle Jesus, meek and mild. I don't want anyone to have power over me and my world. I want to make my own rules. Perhaps... You still want to hold God at arm's length because you still want to check if he's all right. 
Can he be trusted? Is he a good God? Sometimes when I'm out with the Jesus bus here in Linköping, I like to get people to look at the evidence. Don't just make a decision based on what you've heard. Don't make a decision based on what your friend has said. Just read the Gospels, read the Bible, ask us some questions. Let us pray for you. Sometimes when we pray for people, they feel like they can feel goosebumps, they can feel God's power, they experience an answer to prayer. We've got a friend who became a Christian by reading through every single of the Gospels, and he was converted by the last one. Look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. But perhaps you see all this and you, you're like the woman or Jairus. You want to come closer. You're like, there's something going on here. I don't know what it is, but I need to come closer. I need to see more. Perhaps you want to just bow the knee and say, in all humility, in awe of you, Jesus, I just want to come closer and see what happens. I take your invitation and I say, yes. I want to discover more of who you are. Because this is an invitation to invite his rule into your life and over your life. And it's nothing that's cruel or self-seeking. He is love. He gave his life for us when he had all power and authority in the entire universe. He gave it up so that we could find forgiveness and new life and have an open way to Father God. So the highest authority laid down his authority so that we could be restored and saved. He is a good God. Why not take this opportunity today to come near to him? Say yes to this display of power. Don't be frightened. See the goodness that is within it.